so I I go into the I go into the um, EOC and it was in Hilton Hotel. Nobody in a hotel, so they just took over the big ballroom. And an, a, you know, I come in and I go, well, okay, well, where's the fire desk? And he, that's ah, over there. So I walk over there, and here's this one guy sitting there at the desk, in you know, in their fire uniform. And I'm saying, hey, I'm Greg Cade. I'm the U.S. Fire Administrator. What, what the heck's going on? And he says, and I apologize, I don't remember his name. He goes, I'm so and so. He says, I'm a fire inspector here. Uh, I said, well, where's everybody else? He said, there isn't anybody else. I'm it. I go, oh, jeez. Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson. And I've been lucky enough to talk to a bunch of different fire chiefs over this podcast on this um, podcast for the last several years. But today's guest, I think, has held one of the highest-ranking fire service positions in the industry, at least in the United States. Uh, getting his start in Prince George's County, Maryland, and ultimately retiring from the National Fire Protection Association as a regional director, Greg Cade has served as a fire chief in a couple of different jurisdictions, and he's nice enough to allow me to come visit him today and uh, sit down and tell some stories about his career. So, Greg, thanks for, uh, thanks for sitting down. Well, I'm glad you uh, came by and uh, happy to sit here and talk a little bit about some of the crazy things after 54 years in the fire service. That was going to be my first question, 54 years. That's, that's equivalent of two careers, and I think uh, just looking, just knowing what I do know, which I'm sure is just the wave tops, multiple departments, a couple of different states, and then even out of that into a couple of organizations. So uh, let's go back in the Wayback Machine and uh, find out where you got your start. And was, it, was I right that Prince George's County, Maryland was where you started? Yeah, that's where I, that's where I started. I started as a volunteer at uh, Glendale, Station 18 in the, uh, in the county. Um, and then I was actually hired in Career Recruit Class 1 of the Prince George's County Fire Department. Number What year was that? That was 1971. So they had... Before that, the county, there was no county fire department. There was a bunch of different pieces uh, that, so there was a training operation, there was a prevention operation, there was a communications operation, but it wasn't until the charter was voted in in 1971 that not just the fire department, but a lot of things were consolidated. So that was the actual start of the Prince George's County Fire Department in September of 1971. So before that, were they um, all volunteer companies or all? Dependent, it was. Independent? There were career firefighters that worked for um, for the county. There were some career firefighters who worked for the individual volunteer companies, and there were a couple of cities in the county that actually hired career firefighters. So Hyattsville was probably the biggest one. They, I think they must have had 10 or 12 firefighters that actually worked for the city of Hyattsville. So what happens when, the, when, the, when that charter happened? Did, did Hyattsville keep their department, or did that get folded into no, the it all, county? It all, all, of the, all of it got folded into the Prince George's County Fire Department, which then started a multi-year legal battle over who could tell who what to do. <laughs> uh, no, nobody would fight that fight. Um, they fought it. The, the final case was decided in 1974, so three years, a couple of, years. Of, of fighting it. And actually what it said was uh, 
that so all of the volunteer fire departments were separate corporations Mm -hmm. and it ultimately came down that the county in the at the end of the court suit in, in easy terms it said the county government has is the fire department however you the fire department cannot tell an independent chartered organization what to do okay you're when they're when they're inside their own little volunteer fire department so you're in charge but you can't be in charge right that was <laughs> That was really kind of what it was, is, is because all of the volunteer fire departments were state chartered organizations. As long, if they were doing stuff within their own house, then they could do whatever they wanted to, legal or not so much. Not so much. Um, so did but, that court case settle on, that? On an emergency scene, the county was in charge, period. So that was that was a that was a given, right. or they figured right. that out. That okay. well, that was out of the court case. Oh, okay. Basic basically, the county said that all along. Said you know we're we're the Prince George's County government. We're in charge. Of, you know we're in charge. But you, it would be like the county trying to tell I don't know the Knights of Columbus uh-huh. what they you know what they could do. They can tell them to a point. But they can't go in there and and say you can do this or you can do that. But, but there wasn't there was never an issue in those early days with once the bells rang, time to do the job. That was that was doable, or was there any friction between county staff slash that volunteer company or that volunteer company? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and I tell people I said um, and, and I won't bore your people on the podcast. It's too easy to to go back when you screwed up in Prince George's County you ended up on the front page of the newspaper the newspaper of record in the Washington DC metropolitan area is the Washington Post that's a pretty big one which is read around the world uh, so when you screwed up if you're gonna go be a bear be a grizzly you, yeah you had, I, later on in my career I would have people call me up and make jokes about what, what they read, read in the, the newspaper and I would my initial response was always well what's the date on the paper <laughs> and uh, yeah so it was it was an interesting time it's it's changed I mean when I was there there was probably when I first started I bet there was well over 3,000 active volunteers in the county yeah. I How- bet now there's probably a couple of hundred. And compare that to how many staff do you think are there now? Oh gosh, when I when I started, well there was less than there was less than two hundred when you started. When I when I started in the county, the 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 there was an ad valorem tax that was put in place in the '60s that allowed the the volunteers to to in essence hire two career firefighters per station that were paid out of that ad valorem tax. The county the county paid for that. Um, but when the charter went through is when they, when they pulled everything together because everything was separate. The fire marshal's office was separate. Communications mm-hmm. was separate. Um, when that, when that charter took over the vol- the volunteer companies that had those firefighters working for them, did they just transfer into the Prince George's County fire department? Some did, did they- some didn't. Some, some chose to stay with the volunteer companies because the, the, what the county said was, you can come in as a firefighter, and some of the p- 
people wanted to come in as somewhere above that. Some somewhere above that, and the county said, "Sorry, that's not happening." Yeah. So it was. I mean, it took. It was a little tumultuous for a few years to finally get it all uh, settled out. But ultimately, the when the Maryland court said, uh, even on appeal, said, "You can. You, the county, are in complete control." When there's an emergency, there's no question about that. You're in charge, period. However, these are also separately chartered corporations, and when they're doing whatever inside their corporation, you do not have that kind of control. So fundraising, events, yeah, know, all their that, own all administration. Buying of, apparatus. Uh, uh, it took a long—and in, in the 70s— and, you know, Prince George's County, from an economic standpoint, was not in the greatest of of money. So they, as long as volunteers were raising money and buying what they wanted to buy, um, go get them. Go get them. The, the county just, you know, the county leadership just said, you know, we'll fight that fight later. How, what was what was Prince George's County like back then? Was it more rural? Was there any urban? How much in the population? It, how many stations? It had, so when I when I originally moved to Prince George's County in 1958, uh, my dad had just come back from Vietnam. He was one of the original advisors that Eisenhower Advisor. sent over there. Uh, we thought we were gone because we had just come back from Panama. But anyway. Um, we moved out there in, into what would now be considered the middle of the county. The Beltway wasn't built. I mean, that's— 495? Yeah, 495 mm-hmm. didn't exist. Mm-hmm. It was probably on, uh, you know, we're going to build it, but there, there was no—the road wasn't there. So, I mean, we, we were out in the middle of no place, and it was pretty much all farmland. Uh, you know, tobacco, obviously a big, you know, Maryland, big tobacco state, uh, and corn and stuff like that. Now, uh, in fact, I was just there yesterday. I'd gone for a retirees meeting. There's no farmland left. It's all, yeah, it's it, all you know, it's all houses. Paved over and grown yeah, over. Yeah. yeah, it really is. I mean, it's amazing to see what it was like to what it, you know, to what it's like uh, today. And and I'm sure it's like with you with Chesterfield County and, you know, all of, you know, everything else. I mean, it's it's a big change yeah. over that time. Yeah, I remember Chippenham Parkway, which is State Route 150. When I first went to the county, it was a two-lane road with traffic lights at Midlothian and Hall Street and 10. And mm-hmm. now it's a six-lane limited access highway from one end to the other. So. Yeah, it's, it. I mean, it's it's truly, truly changed uh, in, in that time. And plus the population. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what the, I think the county population is several million now. Well, what was uh, what was Recruit School One like back in the seventies? Was it uh, how long was it? What type of it, stuff did it you have was? To do? Thirteen weeks yeah. uh, long, and it was I mean it was probably pretty simple uh, by today's standards. I mean it was you know running hose lines and practicing throwing ladders and teaching us how to drive. No EMT school in there. Oh no, EMT <laughs> didn't exist. We we had we had a first aid class that was taught that was actually, we were one of the guinea pigs for the precursor of the, of the DOT, uh, um, EMT curriculum, curriculum. but it wasn't, it, we were just, we were just a guinea pig class. So we got a first aid card, uh, uh, health, you know, first aid card out of it, but there was no, was that because you were your close proximity to DC, oh, and, yeah. and that's just because they had a big enough system? That, hey, let's test it on those guys. Yeah. Not that well, were... I mean, and not only that, we, you know, one of the things that I, I, 
was very, very lucky to be a part of the Prince George's County Fire Department, um, and, and especially there early on, was the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Had, you know, had, w- was on the cutting edge, and still is, you know, of, of an awful lot of stuff. And so we got involved in things that NASA was doing because Goddard Space Flight Center is there, and the guy who was uh, in charge of uh, the, the fire protection for for Goddard Space Flight Center was a volunteer at Glendale. So, oh, so he was a fire protection engineer. So, I mean, we just got we got involved in an awful lot of things just because where we were. Oh, that's pretty cool. Did, um, so what did, what did your career look like while you were in Prince George? How long did you stay in Prince George? I, I stayed there. So I, so I started in 71, and I retired in 92. So, and I started as a volunteer in 68. So I'd, I'd been a volunteer. I started when I was 18 as a volunteer at Glendale and then got hired when I was 20 and a half because you had to be – you had to be 21 by the time every because you couldn't drive. The couldn't county drive. insurance wouldn't insure oh, you really? unless you were 21. So, um, you know, they they would <laughs> they, they they tried to figure out how to hire you. We need to be out of recruit school on, re- on or after this date. Yeah, because you had to drive. Wow. You know, I mean, I mean, when I I walked into Laurel, um, there was a ladder truck in there and you know a couple of pumpers and you know it was you know you, you got to start driving. First day, first day on the job. Yeah. Well, not not first first day as a career guy on the job. You yeah. obviously be doing. And it luckily, I mean, you know, I knew how to drive a stick shift. So you know, in Glendale, you know, the trucks that they had there, uh, the original, the older one, well, I started on a forty-five Mac. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's an antique piece these yes. days. Yes, it is. And you know, and um, of course, everything was open cabs and all that all that fun stuff. But yeah, I mean, I had some of the other guys who got out of my recruit class, they, when they walked in the fire station, they said, hang your gear up, come back at four o'clock. You're the night guy. <laughs> I, I mean, it was, so were they, were they day shift, night shifts or were 24? Yeah, well, or? it was, it depended on the station. Okay. Some stations worked Monday through Friday, straight day work. Some were on shift work, um, round the clock. Some just had one guy at night, at nighttime driving. I mean, it just it was they, all over the place. Were they they were I, I thinking thinking I'm hearing you say they were supplementing but with volunteers. At oh that, yeah, the volunteers yeah. And when I first started, I bet there was probably easily um, somewhere between fifteen and twenty two hundred volunteers right. that that were around more on active. a on an active basis. Most of them, like when I joined Glendale, you had to live in their first two area. To, to, to be a volunteer. To there. be a volunteer. Uh, and then, uh, and not all of them did that, but, but Glendale and a lot of others, you had to, you had to live in the area. So that, that's where they got there. And, and a lot of the departments, you know, were probably typical of volunteer departments in the day that, you know, it was the father, the son, uh, one of the women then. Yep. Um, they were the auxiliary. Which then. is, well, the crazy part is Glendale had a couple of women who actually drove and operated a pump store in World War II because all the guys all were the guys gone. Were wow. Yeah. And then when they came back, but we had a couple of them who would, you know, say, I know how to drive that truck. I used to drive it. And off they would go. Speaking of driving things, there's a sound of freedom over our heads. Oh, now. yes. Uh, you know, and I don't pay any attention you don't to even it, hear it now. <laughs> because we're at the end of the runway and they fly over. Yeah, go Navy. That's it. All, all, the, uh, all the time. A lot of the couple of pilots live in here but yeah i mean but we actually hired the second 
career female firefighter in the United States. Wow. The first one was was hired in Arlington. Um, oh man, you're testing my brain power. Teresa Brewer. Might be the trivia question on uh, Jeopardy tonight. Yeah, I th- she's. I think that was. I think that was her. Was her name? She was the. She was the first female career firefighter hired, and we hired the second one. Uh, about a year or so later, yeah. year and a half later. Of course, now you know. I mean, there, there's maybe not in a lot of places, but Prince George's County, Montgomery, all of those mm-hmm. ones around the Washington, D.C. area have a lot of, uh, and have had a lot of women in the department. In fact, Prince George's County, the chief is a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, real, real sp- up through the ranks, you know. So it's local. Uh, we were, you left uh, Prince George's. Were you a deputy chief then? Yeah, I was, well, assistant chief. Assistant chief. Assistant chief. I, they, in, in typical state politics they made some changes <laughs> about about retirement benefits and leave payouts and all kinds of stuff uh but the only ones they could do it for were the 14 chief officers because all the rest of them are in the union oh so you were not and in it, the union i w- when i when i made assistant chief i was no longer in the union and so they could not was negotiate was that a requirement of the union because you were now management? Yes. It's, well, it's management wasn't so much. No, it wasn't so much the union. It was the county. The okay. county said you chief officers are not part of the that's bargaining the la- unit. That's the right. labor you, union. Yeah, you, and 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 we all understand. And we're talking, we're talking the early '70s when all you know when a lot of that stuff started uh, started going on, and um, and and then when when I decided uh, to retire, it was because the county at the time was a little financially strapped and they were looking at ways of saving money and <clears throat> and we're about to make some changes that would have had a severely adverse impact on my so you helped them along with the decision making so process. it helped me along with the decision making process and i took the fire chief's job in hampton there you go well before we get to handle let's see uh any calls or any incidents or uh, things that happened while you were in Prince George really stand out that, you know, you, you went on to say you mentioned being a fire chief in Hampton, ultimately Virginia Beach, and points further. Anything that happened in your early 20 years of, of Prince George's County, Maryland, that really shaped your career going forward or any people that were out there as your mentors? That Oh, uh, God, I mean, when you look at, I mean, if you just look at who the people were that came through the University of Maryland, you know, who taught there, and I mean, some of the some of those names of 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 people that are icons in the uh, you know in the in the fire service and even today uh, you know um, are, are very very fortunate that the University of Maryland and uh, fire rescue you know the Maryland Fire Rescue Institute was the you know there weren't very many they they were one of the leaders probably in the world in the 60s and 70s and they, weren't they doing stuff like um what ul is doing today with test well, burns and the oh yeah science well the guy fire. who's the guy who's in charge of ul was i don't know if he still is but he was a deputy chief at college park oh, there you go he's a maryland grad another, like me and, and a good guy. sharp guy too i've you know i've He's a he's a good guy. Is that Steve Kerber? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Steve's Steve in... is Steve is uh, Steve. I, do, I he he could still be the deputy chief. I don't know. I haven't seen Steve in a in a while to talk to him. But uh, but he's just one. You know, uh, Brannigan 
well, wrote the I mean, book, the man you know, who wrote the book. Yeah, I mean, you 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 look at it and just you know when you look at the you look at the who's who and the in the certainly in the fire service there's been an awful lot of them that have come through right. the University uh, of Maryland and most of them. So what they would do, College Park. If, if you were enrolled at College Park, most of them in the fire protection engineering program, they joined the volunteer fire department, and then they lived at the lived firehouse. At the house, yeah. And then in the summertime, up through probably the mid-'70s, they would hire some of them back because, you know, once everybody— they would, Their staffing was gone. Yeah, their staffing was gone. So, uh, so they would hire some, some of the students back. Um, and then, of course, we got involved in all kinds of crazy stuff because— you know, people, I mean, we did stuff with the Secret Service because the Secret Service training thing is in Greenbelt, <laughs> which is part of the county, just down the street. Uh, Goddard Space Flight Center, NASA, we did stuff with them because, you know, just they were there and they were, you know, do, it was just a interesting place. And, of course, Andrews Air Force Base mm-hmm. is is in Prince George's County. So you got to work with, uh, with the Secret Service. We had a, one of the early bomb units. And so... A lot of times, the bomb, our bomb squad would be pulled in by the Secret Service or pulled in by the FBI and to do stuff in D.C. Um, Just the they, capital, they were close, yeah, because yeah, they were there, and of course they go to the same school. The funny part is in Indian Head, Maryland, which is in Prince George's County, is where they train the instructors who teach at the bomb school. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, well. This, you know, can't we just go there? Yeah, that would be easy, wouldn't it? No, it yeah. makes too much sense. It's and, of course, you know, with, we, we had um, the Capitol Center. is isn't there anymore, but it was there in the county. It's where Ronald Reagan's inauguration was. I got to go to that as part of the fire department uh, detail. I was working for the deputy chief at the time. And, I mean, here's Johnny Carson and Frank oh, Sinatra. and There was more diamonds and furs than I and. Well, well, Reagan being the Hollywood type, he, he brought the, I'm telling you, it was it was it was an amazing amazing thing uh, to see, and just crazy stuff that you know that that went on um, when they had the you know when they had the war uh, protests. They always ended up spilling over into the county because I mean we were right next door, mm-hmm. you know, right next right next door to them. But one of the things I mean, people would ask me later in my career, you know. Well, they'd ask a lot of stuff, but but a lot of them, you know, would talk about, you know, well, where'd you learn firefighting? I said it was easy. I said I worked uh, at Seat Pleasant Station Eight for a couple of years, and in those days, the the dispatch for a street assignment, so a house fire or something like that, was three engines, a truck, and a squad, and a box assignment was four engines, two trucks, and a squad. Well, Squad Eight. 27 had a so 27 had a squad on the southern end of the county, and 21 had a squad. They were both out of service, so we had the only rescue, heavy duty rescue squad on the whole south side of the county. So it was like a it was a true rescue, like FDNY rescue. Yeah, companies. big yeah, yeah, big box with all. Yeah, that. it didn't have any rescue equipment, <laughs> but it had the bodies. It had, and so it was you know, and and the way the county dispatched, and not everybody does it differently, but they put out three beeps to let you know that it was either a box assignment or a street assignment and then they put out the companies well working at eight as soon as they'd put the three beeps out we just get you up and start moving because 90 percent of the time we we were we were on the road and i learned i mean i fought fire every day and it, i mean it was 
I used to tell people, I said, it was a great time being in the fire department. It was a bad time to be a citizen. Uh. And, you know, we had the garden apartments in those days. Uh, the roofs were from one end of the building to the other. There was no fire stops in them. Uh, the basements were completely open. They used to build wire, uh, chicken wire cages for the people to store their stuff in so the kids walk through with a match and the torch whole, them all. The oh, yeah, the, yeah, from one end, you know, you'd have four buildings. No and, fire, no and fire no, breaks. No fire breaks. No sprinklers, no. No nothing. Oh, no, no, Jeez. no nothing. Nothing at all. And, um, I mean, we were so, we were so proficient at having three-story garden apartment fires. We had a couple guys who had a whole road show going up and down the East Coast <laughs> teaching, teaching, how to, teaching people how to manage a fire in one of them. Huh? We started out, I can still remember, I was telling somebody this. We, we, one, of our, one of the captains in the department came up with this idea of taking a, a brezen, large brezen distributor nozzle, putting off the end of a ladder pipe, on a fifty-foot section hose and dropping it through the through the roof Just to, to cut to cut the fire off. And people say you can't do that. You know you're not supposed. To, you'll push the fire back down. I said, well, I don't know about what y'all did, but <laughs> this, worked. this works. It, worked. You know, it it would stop the fire. But now, of course, they're all fire stopped and yeah. all kinds of stuff. But I mean, we burned the roof off. You know, it it was just it was just fire every day. And I mean, you know, you'd come out, and you'd go, oh man, that hurt. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> the, the true school of hard yeah, knocks. The true school of hard knocks, and it was just it, it was a it was a crazy time in the county, and and I mean certainly in the sixties that all the war in Vietnam stuff going on. Um, the the seventies was nuts because the, they had a huge huge drug war going on in D.C. Well, all the drug gangs gangs all the head guys lived out in PG County. So when they wanted to whack one of them, they'd, they'd, come, your they'd, way. they'd, they'd come our way. And so that, you know, they'd set the whole building on fire to, you know, try and, Holy it was, it was crazy time. Yeah, I mean, wow. like I said, it was a great time being in the fire department though. I mean, it was, it was, it was fun. It was busy. Um, and it was stuff that people just wouldn't believe that, that you, you know, that you ran into. But I haven't heard you say, Uranium S calls. Oh, we did. Yeah. <laughs> did, well, did, did you run them as like first responders, or who was running EMS back then? Was it a different well, the county, organization? No, the county. The county ran. So the EMS. The the rest. Well, there there were ambulances. Period. I mean, in I I had so when I joined Glendale, they had two ambulances in there, and I I took the basic first aid. Red Cross class, which was more about how you tie square knots on cravats. Cravat. Yeah, because you couldn't do anything else. And if you'd run them into the to the Prince George's ER, if you'd have done anything to them, first thing a nurse did was cut all the shit off and look at you and go, what the hell are you doing? You know? And then later on, we, we were in the first group of EMTs, uh, and I think the EMT class then was two weeks. It was 80 hours. I don't know. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, um, and then, and, but we, we ran, we ran it all the time. I mean, we had some, so when I worked at Landover Hills as a young firefighter, the, the volunteer district rescue squad 
in Kentland decided they'd had enough and went Close out, up. just closed up shop. <laughs> we quit. And See you later. Yeah. And so Landover Hills had an ambulance, had a 68 Oldsmobile. I don't know if you ever seen one, of, you know, like like the Cadillac. The old one. Cadillac, yeah. Yeah, one, one of those. I mean, he couldn't do anything. Double, doubles as a hearse if you paint yeah, black. Yeah. yeah, and you couldn't do anything. You know, there wasn't any room in the darn thing. But so between Landover Hills, Kentland, West Lanham, that was the only ambulance. So it was on the road all the time. Yeah. And we didn't have any volunteers. Well, there were a few volunteers. I don't want to say there wasn't any. But they didn't come around because they didn't want to. The ambulance was just on the street. So the county ended up putting three firefighters in there around the clock. So you had put two of the firefighters on the uh, on the uh, ambulance most of the time. And, uh, and then that left you in the station by yourself uh, as a firefighter. And in one of the busiest companies in the county and good times oh yeah i mean i I've, I've told the story a bunch but i don't know if i should tell it on the podcast but well tell it and then if you want me to I'll, cut it out yeah, later i'll cut it, it out so i have and not just me but i have more than once in my career been at the station by myself when a house fire or apartment fire came in and pulled up in front of the house that was on fire got out Grabbed a pedestrian, said, you hold on to this handle. You count to three when you see me go through the front door and pull this handle. <laughs> You're a pump operator. You're a pump operator. Go get them. Go get them. And, uh, and so we had three guys. Bladensburg had two. Kentland had one. And Tuxedo had one. So there was seven career firefighters on the first alarm assignment. And so the deal was the first guy in... You just drive the pumper to the door. Don't worry. And, and the second one in will lay a line, and then we'll all fight the fire off of the first one. People say, well, when you call for help, man, just laugh at them and go, no. There, there was no help. There, <laughs> there was, was no yeah. we weren't calling, for, And we weren't calling for anybody. That's you know, right. it was our fire. We <laughs> didn't want to share the, share yeah, in the well. We were, well, when we were ready to share, it was because none of us could do anything else at, uh, that, at that point. And it was, I mean, we were in a in a busy part of the of the county, and it was fire all the time. And I learned how to fight fire by just going to a ton of them. Doing it. Well, you went. You said you went to uh, Hampton as a fire chief. Um, yeah. When you set out in your career in the early '70s, did you set out and go, "I want to be a fire chief one day," or did you just stumble up to it? As a, I, I kind of stumbled up to it. I mean, when I got. I mean, like any 18-year-old kid, the only thing I wanted to do was be in the middle of the fire. Yep. I mean, that, that, that's what I wanted to do. And when I, when I got hired as a career firefighter and shortly thereafter, um, I realized, you know, if I want to do something, I really, I really need to get a better understanding of, of what this is that I'm trying to do. So there was not a whole lot of training classes available, but the Prince George's Community College had just started um, a fire program. And so myself and probably the same 12 other guys went through that. It was a you know, two-year you know, two program, associates, yeah. associates uh, program, and, um, and I went through that. I mean, I got my associate's degree and then decided, well, if I got this, I might as well go to Maryland and get my 
you know, get my bachelor's degree. And I did, I did, I did that all part time, working part time, being married, you know, having a couple kids, just trying to. I used to tell people, I had a picture on the by the front door that said, "This is Dad," because you know, working shift work and yeah. going to college and trying to work a part time job, and because you know, money in those days, you know, for a firefighter was not exactly a whole lot. It wasn't enough to support no, family and was, college. No, it wasn't. Not at not at all. And it wasn't an eighty hour work week. I think we worked ninety some, if I remember correctly, when we first. Uh, started i mean it was it was so and it was no such thing as overtime or any you know all comp time right. or anything like that not knows not until it was 84 court case and yeah texas or something yeah Act, fair, yeah, yeah i mean so for the for the early part of my career in pg county they just abused the heck yeah. out of us you can work over but it's straight time yeah. is what we used to get yeah, yeah. we used to get time straight time for anything we signed up for extra yeah uh, what was the transition like in making a leap from an assistant chief in Prince George to now in Hampton, Virginia? Totally different state, different culture. You're in the Tidewater region of Virginia now, away from the capital, but still a pretty – now it's a more urban setting in Hampton, at least my understanding of mm-hmm. Hampton is. What was the what was the transition like to get into that department? It, it was <laughs> – you know, it, it certainly was uh, new – experience for me because you know i had spent 20 some years in prince george's county and i knew most of the players and knew the political system and all of that and of course going into hampton way way different um we didn't know anybody there at all um the city manager bob o'neill ultimately was the city county manager in fairfax later i don't know if you were interested Mm -hmm. but and then he went to work for ICMA. He was a, he was a president of ICMA at oh. one point, um, if I remember correctly. And anyway, great guy to work for, young guy, smart. Sat me down and said, you know, this department's got some issues, and I need somebody who's going to, you know, straighten it out. And I said, well, you got a hard-headed Irishman. <laughs> Here we go. I said, just, you know. Just be prepared, you know. And so I went in, and the department was, you know, it was good, good people, but they were used to having um, some leaders that were not exactly very strong. And they ran in, unfortunately, for a while uh, to me. And uh, I think I'm a pretty reasonable person, but... When I say don't do this, it's a kind of an expectation. My expectation is you're 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 not going to do this, and so I had uh, I had some interesting things happen. Uh, one, in fact, I'm in uh, Hogan uh, Hogan his senior, not not the Larry Junior who was just the governor. Mm-hmm. His dad his dad was actually the county executive in PG County when I worked there. He was an FBI agent and a lawyer, and um, but he he later in his life became uh, wrote a book on uh, fire service legal stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know if they even it's probably not in print anymore. Um, but I'm in his book for <coughs> being sued on a few occasions uh, <laughs> for Def- for the defense. And I won every one of them. There you go. I won every one of them. But, uh, yeah, it was, you know, they, they, it was an interesting time. It was a great city to work in, a lot of really fine uh, people. 
Um, they treated me. Uh, they treated me well. I mean, I was a, I was an outsider, and um, were you the first outside chief? No, that came in? I was actually the. I was either the second or the third one, and that was part of the problem too. You know that that no one, no one from inside, you know, had had been the chief in quite a while. Uh, I think since I left, I believe everybody after me has been an inside from from up from inside. inside, and that's what I told them all. You know, I told them early on. I said, you know, I will tell you everything, teach you everything that you need to know to be a fire chief. Whether or not you can close the deal. Is, is is up to you, but I'm going to tell you what, you know, what you need, you know, you need to have a college degree, you need to have this experience, you know, all of those things that make you well-rounded, um, you need, you need to have. And, you know, I said, if you, you know, you stick with me, I'm going to teach you all of the things. I'm not going to do it for you, but I'm going to make sure that you, you know, I lay out for you if you want to be the fire chief whether it's in Hampton or anywhere else, these are the skill sets that you've got to have and you've got to demonstrate. And if you don't, probably um, not the one you're, 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 you know, you're not, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to happen for you. And then, you know, early on, I had a quite a few people that, uh, were used to the previous administration and I kept trying to tell them I'm not that person. <laughs> There's a new when, sheriff in town. When, when I tell you, don't do this. Trust me. Don't do it. So, how many people did it take before the rest of the rank and file got the message? Well, I won't. I won't say how many it took, but I will tell you that my secretary, and I won't tell you who she is, because a lot of people would from the area know she's great. She was great. She really, really helped me. She she was somebody who knew the inner workings of the city and players and and could keep me somewhat out of trouble. But she, she used to, when they'd come in to see me, they'd be sitting out in the office and she'd just look at him and she'd go, well, let me tell you, you're not the first person to sit in that chair and cry. And and it doesn't affect them. (laughs) It doesn't affect the boss. So, uh, how long did you stay in Hampton? I stayed there for six years as uh, as a chief, and I did that on, but for two reasons. I, one, I liked working there, um, but two, none of no chief had ever lasted five years or more. So, so you I, wanted to break the record. I was determined that I was going to stay one at least one year longer, and then, uh, and I was. I was minding my own business. Hampton treated me well. It was a great place to work. The, the 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 mayor, the council, the city managers, they were all great. You know, I really had a good relationship. But Harry uh, Dizel uh, decided to retire from Virginia Beach. And uh, the guy who was the city manager, Jim Spore, was a friend of the city manager, Bob O'Neill, in, in Hampton. And... Uh, and I told Bob, I said, you know, well, I'm going to go apply for the job. A bigger department, more money. And that was that was the piece. I worked there six years, and my salary went up like 3% over six, over six years. years. If I, well, they had a sliding scale thing for department managers. <laughs> if I would just been a regular city employee, I'd have got a 3% raise every year for six years. And the scale seems to slide in the wrong direction, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> and that's what, I told, that's what I told them when I left. I said, you know. It, you know, it's. I like working here. Y'all have treated me well. I think I've done a good job for you, uh, minus a few of the lawsuits. 
that I won all. But you won them all. Um, you know, and, um, you know, I said, it's just, you know, it's just a finance thing. And, you know, I'm tired of doing all this stuff and you admitting that I'm doing a good job, but, you know, the money at the time just wasn't there. So I, um, I applied for the job in Virginia Beach and uh, was offered it and came to work, uh, came to work here. So why do you think the um, in Hampton those chiefs never lasted more than five years? I know some cities where they're the fire chief, police chief, you know, mm-hmm. big department heads are at the will of the mayor, and every time mm-hmm. there's a new election, you tend yeah. to see turnovers in those. Was that the case in Hampton, or was it something? I, I don't know for sure. I just know that they were all from the outside, so I think that was you know that that was a part of it that they brought people in from the outside and thought you know this is they knew they needed to make some some uh, changes in uh, in the city and and I mean when you look at at that whole time frame and I'm sure across Virginia wasn't any different um, the transition was taking place where volunteer departments were struggling mm-hmm. uh, for people and the the city itself Hampton the the um, the makeup of the city was changing and so the people who were coming in had no didn't have a long strong relationship with volunteering at anything mm. and I'm not saying that's bad I'm just you know so they did still have volunteers in they Hampton. still had volunteers in Hampton just they didn't have just, a whole lot of them and they and the ones that they had and a lot of them were really really good people and I still talk to some of them um but they were, you know, they were just having a tough time. And then the call volume began to start picking up, too. And that made it difficult uh, for, you know, for the uh, for them. I mean, you know, it's one thing when you got to get up out of bed once, you know, a week to yeah. 10 times a night, you know, when, when you're doing it for free and then it, then you got to go to work. work, you know, so it, it makes it very it makes it very tough. And I and I look now and I'm sure you see the same thing. When you look at the big cities, I mean, very few of them have any volunteers, mm-hmm. period. If they, they may have some sort of an auxiliary. And then if you look now, probably the first ring of either cities or counties around those major areas, and I just use Richmond, which you're very familiar <laughs> with, um, all of those county departments are, are predominantly volunteer, or mean predominantly career. They were predominantly volunteer, and it's just been a change because people coming in, who have no volunteer experience or no no experience in volunteering for something like the fire yeah. department. And I tell people, even today, the fire department's a tough place to volunteer. I mean, when I started in Glendale, it was, you know, there's a coat room in the back. We'll see if you can find something to fit you. Let's go. You know, and then when the bell rings, jump on the back and have at it now training standards are such you've got to come in yeah. you pull some time and get training and get certified and yeah. now you can ride on the in the jump yeah. seat and well that was one of the things that so impressed me with what harry uh Dizel and the rest of the chiefs here in the hampton roads area had done before i ever came here is they had put together the tidewater regional uh fire academy and and they were the ones who trained all of the career and volunteer folks in mm-hmm. in this area, and the deal always was, which was still when I was in Virginia Beach, they were a part of it. Um, whoever one person would be the one department would be the administrator for the school, and everybody else who wanted to put people in had to commit to putting resources in. 
instructors or either instructors or bringing equipment when there was you know drill stuff to uh, to be done and this and I obviously haven't been in chief in a while uh, but as far as I know it's still it, you know it's still that uh, that model and I mean it was nothing to have volunteer or career potential career firefighters from Franklin in in a TRFA school or, or you know I mean Suffolk and there was no money there was no money exchanged. It was all in kind resource. All, it was all in kind. It was all in kind resources, and then what would happen? A lot of cases is we'd get volunteers who who came in, and as soon as they got a TRFA certificate, that made them marketable, eligible to get hired to on hired or, in any of the departments that were part of TRFA. Did you see the departments start to compete for for people? For oh members? yeah. And yeah. With either how were they competing with pay raises or well, they were resources? competing with money. I mean, that, that was one of the thing nice about Virginia Beach. I mean, there was Chest, Chesapeake was probably the closest, but the the beach was just paying better than everybody else. So you know, if you were if you were looking for a job in a fire department, you know, most cases they were looking for well, where can I go? And, and they had a beach, and, and they, they had got, a beach, and they got and, a beach. You know, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, but it was, I mean, I, I give Harry and those guys credit that, you know, boy, they really, I mean, they, they came up with a model that just, it worked. And I mean, I was, I was part of that TRFA from, until I, until I left in here in 2007, so 15 years. So what was the biggest difference you would say between Prince George, Hampton, and Virginia Beach after your time there? What do you think is there, were there any real glaring differences or were the similarities, the glaring similarities that kind of struck I, you? I think the similarities were, were probably the biggest thing. I mean, it was, so I was in Prince George's County when the change went from a predominantly active volunteer force to a predominantly career, not predominant, well, they still have volunteers, and they're still active, but nowhere near the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hampton, I don't know. Um, they still have, I mean, as far as I know, they still have some volunteer participation in Hampton. Um, but some of the, I mean, we, the, some of the companies were pretty strong, especially the ones, there. four of them had rescue squads that the volunteers ran. So that for kept ambulances. Them, yeah, for, for ambulances. ambulances. Yeah. So that kept, them, that kept them busy. And then the, the, um, the, paramedics that Hampton had at the time were in pickup trucks so they wouldn't they couldn't transport but they would come to the scene and and then jump on the ambulance and then jump and then jump on uh, jump on ambulance so the volunteers you know they they were responsible for doing uh, for doing the ambulance work and they did you know they did a good job but I think again you know the activity level has just picked up so much and and the change in in the way in the way the insurance companies pay, and like I said, you know, mm-hmm. they won't. You walk in the ER, it's questionable whether they'll pay the bill. <laughs> Going in the ambulance, they will. You yeah. know, and we educate people on how to do things, and they learn. There you go. The lunar uh, <laughs> learn quite well in some yes, cases. Yes, they do. Um, so that EMS system you mentioned in, in Hampton, it was the volunteers that ran the ambulance res- rescue squad ambulances. Virginia Beach, if if I remember back to those days, it's pretty much the same. There mm-hmm. were, there were yeah, they, the and volunteer still is. was EMS. Yeah, they EMS have so. they have two. Uh, the the EMS system in the beach is a separate department, even though they're housed, they're, they're physically housed in the fire stations. So they're co-located. Uh, with, the with the exception the of of uh, Oceanfront 14, they have their own separate uh, station. So they're still you now. Is is Virginia Beach EMS or do they have career staff now as well? Because yes, they have. 
I want to say 40 or 50 okay. uh, career paramedics that uh, they got um, probably in 2002, 2003. Um, and again, they were just, the, the call volume was, was really, yeah. you know, kicking them in the rear end. And, and uh, we had, and, and they still do, a lot of the beach firefighters are paramedics. Also, so I mean, we were able to provide, uh, you know, paramedic supplement care right off the bat. It was just a matter of, you know, when the, when they you know get somebody there to transport. But but they ultimately had to start hiring career paramedics, um, and they're they're I don't I I haven't paid I mean I haven't been around inside to know how many of the career paramedics are staffing the ambulances. I'm sure some, but there's still quite a, I mean, there's still a lot of volunteer participation here in the beach, uh, in the rescue squad system. And a lot of that is the military, uh, people that come Mm -hmm. here and they were volunteers wherever they came from. And, you know, they stick with it. Yeah. And they want to stick with it when they're, you know, when they have some off, off duty time. And then it's just a matter of getting there wherever they were from transferred to, or recognized in Virginia. Cool. Oh uh, well, uh, we're coming up on almost fifty minutes here, and I want to mm-hmm. get the get the the next stages of your career in the in the record, so to speak, because I think it's one of the interesting mm-hmm. ones. Of how long were you at the beach as the chief? I was the beach uh, chief and from nineteen uh, ninety eight until nineteen or excuse me two thousand and seven. I was. Uh, it's an interesting story. So, uh, you may you may remember George Forsman. I do. George, after he, he did, was VDEM, right? He was a VDEM. He was director a, he was he was VDEM guy. Department of and Emergency then, Sur- Medical Emergency Services. Emergency yeah. Services, and so George, after he did the Gilmore Commission, he 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 kind of ran that for Gilmore, and he did that final report about all those things and and um so bush appointed him as the i guess he was a deputy deputy secretary of the department of homeland so remember when homeland security started there was just like five or six people there wasn't an actual department it was it was just they were yeah. congealing everything from right. TSA right. and all right. the other. And so other. George, George was one of the original uh, uh, people. He was he was a deputy um, deputy secretary. So he, I get a phone call, I'm sitting at my desk. Secretary says George Forsman's on phone call. Said, okay, hey George, how you doing? You know, figuring you know, he's. He goes, I need to talk to you. And I'm thinking, you know, okay, well, I was the East Coast rep on the USAR uh, advisory board. And yeah, I knew. Virginia Beach had a USAR. Right, team. Had a still USAR. Has a right. Team. Still has one. Yeah. Virginia Task Force, too. Been like the others deployed all over the world. Um, and so I knew that my appointment was up for reappointment. So that's what I'm figuring. You know, I, so, yeah, we just typical, you know talk back and forth and he goes okay he said you know um i got something that i'm thinking about doing and um you know i'll, I'll be in touch with you later on and i said oh okay so about a week later my secretary says there's a secret service agent <laughs> out here 
Sometimes not a good sign. And I'm going, okay, you know. And you, then you start thinking, well, God, what did I? I didn't really steal that. I just, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I'm thinking it was an accident. statute of limitations has got to be gone. So the guy comes in and he goes, and you know, hi, how you doing? What do you, you know, what do you need? He goes, well, I need you to sign this release. So okay, what's it a release for? He said, I need to get a copy of your birth certificate. Okay, what for? He said, well, I'm sorry, I can't discuss that with you. <laughs> Hence so the secret I'm, of secret service. So I'm service. going, well, this, you know, what the heck is going on? So I picked the phone up, and I called George. I said, hey, George, can you tell me what the heck is going on? He goes, oh, I didn't tell you. I go, no, you didn't tell me. What? He goes, oh, well, your name's been sent to the president to be the next U.S. fire administrator. Surprise. I said, when were you going to tell me this? <laughs> so, you know, so then I'm thinking, you know, of course, then I run across the street to Jim Spore, who's the city manager, and say, hey, look. <laughs> Guess what I just heard. <laughs> just, you know. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that was, and then, so my position at the time, the, the U.S. fire administrator's position, was a Senate-confirmed position. So I had to go through the whole Senate confirmation process. And at the time, if you think about it, Bush was battling with... Was this H.W.? Was this... George. George, yeah. For, yeah. Uh, he was battling with the Senate over a few things. So, you know. So anyway, I I get, like, go to school every day with all these people, you know, at FEMA and everywhere else that they're all trying to, you know... Make sure that I don't do something stupid, which is really. Oh, so you, they had to coach you in how to. Yes, they go had to coach me how okay. to go through the process. So then, of course, the 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 um, the the head of the uh, the how or the Senate Homeland Security Committee was John Warner, who was a senior Virginia. senator from, from Virginia. From Virginia. So of course I went in to meet with him, but before I went in to meet with him, I called my cousin Connie, who was an ophthalmologist in in. Uh, over in Arlington, Connie was his eye doctor. <laughs> so I said, hey, cuz. He goes, eh, don't worry about it. He says, I'll call him. So, my, so he, he and Connie were very good friends on top of everything else. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so then I, I go through the confirmation process. It all goes well. I mean, you know, they ask questions and you know what nothing. kind of questions are they asking is it to be the u.s fire administrator is well okay. just you know i guess they're looking at you know cowboy you can work with other people okay. and this that and the other thing the 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 ones who were probably the the not worrisome but they were kind of interesting were the before you go to the committee their staff you know gets to ask uh -huh. questions and and the guys the guys fema said look this is their chance to kind of Flex muscle. Flex muscle. So don't take it personally. I'm going, hey, look, you know, I've been sued for murder. So, you know, <laughs> they, they can't really do much. So anyway, so I go through all that stuff, and then my, my appointment gets put on hold. <laughs> okay. Well, it turns out one of the senators is mad at the president for something. So you just, you know. I'm not going to agree to I'm not gonna agree putting to hold on, on everything, not just mine. Everything but military... Uh, Officer promotions. Mm -hmm. They don't hold them up because, well, they are holding them up right now, I think. But at that, <laughs> that's at that, a, that's at a different that point, Congress now. Yeah, it's yeah. a different Congress. But at that point, they, they didn't hold it up. 
And so I'm going, okay, well, you know, what is, you know, what do we do? So, well, we're, we're, we're trying to figure this out. Well, it turns out, and I won't mention the organizations that got involved, but it seems like the guy's daughter was dating a firefighter. Oh, good lands. Here <laughs> we go. So, Here we go. And, and so he took his hold off of my nomination. <laughs> So, who know? I mean, how do you ever explain any of this stuff? You got to get a whiteboard yeah, and draw and lines just, between and all so, the people. And so, you know, luckily, uh, you know, I, I got I got sworn in, and uh, it was really neat. I got to meet with the president. I got a picture of me and him in the yeah, cool. White House by you know by ourselves. Just a nice. I mean, just a nice guy. I mean, we're just sitting around talking about being married and you know all the crazy stuff that goes on. And then when he came up. For the memorial service. In Emmitsburg? Uh, in yeah. Emmitsburg. I knew he was coming. You know, they told me. And uh, and so, of course, Camp David is, you know, right over the hill. And and uh, at the time, I don't know if it still is the case, but they used to, the helicopter and the helicopter crews that the, would stay, one. stay yeah. at, uh, at Emmitsburg. Right out behind J Building. Yeah, right, at, right out behind there. So we're figuring, okay, he's going to, Come over. It's gonna land. It's gonna walk in. It's gonna shake hands, smile, get on the helicopter, and go back. Well, he comes in there, and you know, of course, I'm there to greet him. And he and I are sitting in the tent by ourselves. He tells everybody, "Says get out of here." You know, and he we're just sitting there talking about wives and kids and nothing regular people, regular stuff. regular people stuff. And so then, when of course, when it's time to for him to go out, he goes out, and and you know, he. Everybody talks, and then, of course, obviously, he's the last one. And he does this thing, and we figure, okay, well, he's going to turn around and walk off stage. It's not what he does. He does walk off the stage, but he doesn't turn around and walk off stage. He turns around and walks down to the front of the uh, walkway and stood there for the next two hours talking to every family that was, that was you know, loved one was, was being recognized. And to me, I said, man, this is, this is a guy. You know, this is... Everybody would have been, they were just impressed that he showed up. You know, hey, the president's here. But for him to stand there and talk to every one of the families, and I mean, he didn't rush them through. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I think he, I think he made a big difference. I, I heard a, that about their day. both of the Bushes. And I got to work with a couple of Secret Service guys when we had some presidents come to town. And all of the Secret Service really spoke very highly of the Bush family, the the yeah. elder and the junior president about how they treated them as staff and you know something as simple as you know holidays they would go to camp david because it took a smaller security detail there than if they were to gone to i don't know hawaii yeah and they have to take you know a couple yeah. hundred staff so I, I think it speaks volumes of the, what what that family was doing but you know caring for the people around them so yeah it just politics I mean, aside i mean it's it, just it, it just amazed you know i was amazed that 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 it happened you know no and i think everybody else was yeah. and i mean it was you know typical late uh august september-ish not not cool in uh, it was probably well over 100 that day yeah. i mean in the sunshine and it was a nice you know from that standpoint it was a nice day but uh Coat and, coat and tie, it's uh, yeah, in a coat and tie was uh, was was pretty bad. Well, what types of things as a U.S. fire administrator were you responsible for? I know the fire academy falls under that umbrella. Well, what yeah, are the fire the fire academy was it was probably one of the biggest things. And then when um, I got in, <laughs> I got involved in a hurricane response, 
uh, to New Orleans. So Katrina, the Katrina. Katrina, yeah. So Dave Dave Paulson obviously was was heavily involved mm-hmm. in it, but he he was then the FEMA director, and he called he called me up and said, "I need you to go down there." Okay, boss. You know, but Dave and I had been friends from mm-hmm. when, back when he was fire chief in in Miami Day. I mean, I'd known Dave for a long time, so you know, um, it wasn't any big deal. You know, he and I were both Metro Chiefs together. So, so I said, okay, what's what's the problem? You know, because what the heck am I going to do in a city that's still underwater? You know, he goes, I need you to go down there and find out what the heck is going on and what do, you know what do we need to do? Because it was. The politics of of that place was nuts. Of Louisiana or New Orleans in general? Both. Yeah. It, it it was both. I mean, it was. It. I mean, when I got there, the city, a lot of the city was still underwater. I mean, they, you know, it hadn't. So I I go into the, I go into the, um, EOC, and it was in Hilton Hotel. Nobody in the hotel, so they just took over the big ballroom, and. An, I, you know, I come in and go, well, okay, well, where's the fire desk? And he, ah, it's over there. So I walk over there, and here's this one guy sitting there at the desk in, you know, in their fire uniform. And I'm saying, hey, I'm Greg Cade. I'm U.S. Fire Administrator. You know, um, background's fire service. What, what the heck's going on? And he says, and I apologize. I don't remember his name. He goes, I'm so-and-so. He says, I'm a fire inspector here. Uh, I said, well, where's everybody else? He said, there isn't anybody else. I'm it. <laughs> I go, oh, geez. You know, this this has not started well. You're going off on a bad and I'm, I'm a Well, what had happened, long story short, was they, the state and the city, or the city and the firefighters union and police union were fighting over pay. And the the union had won a back pay issue that they had literally been battling over for years and when Katrina hit. And then and the city goes, we ain't got any money. <laughs> you, you might have won the lawsuit, but... But now, now we don't have any money to pay you. Now we don't have any money to... Jeez. Don't have any money to pay you. So a lot of the firefighters who could retire just retired. Because it had to do with their pension and mm-hmm. getting paid more. And, and a lot of the police people, they just, you know, said to hell with Did it. Did the same thing. You know, they just, they just, I mean, in the city, when I was there, I said it was, it was probably at least 50, if not 60%, still underwater, still water, you know, in, in, it was, it was really crazy to, to be there. And I, you know, I mean, I, so I had an, there was a hurricane coming up the East coast. Another one. Another one. Yeah. So I had to go talk to Jim Spore or before I left, I said, Hey Jim, you know, uh, they want me to. They, they want me to go down there, you know, here, here the beaches, getting ready for all this stuff. And he's going, yeah, well, uh, you know, okay. You know, don't worry about it. I said, we've been through hurricanes before. So <laughs> Yeah, I remember that because uh, Chessfield sent an incident management team down there in the aftermath of it. And mm-hmm. I, think, I think our crew relieved the crew from New York or someplace like that. And I remember them telling the story about the planning unit, and they were kind of briefing the you know the next twenty four hour operational period and talking to the city. And it wasn't new city of New Orleans; it was Calcasieu Parish, I think, and just 
maybe just east of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, okay, and by the way, um, that other hurricane is coming and it's expected to hit here in, you know, 36 or 48 hours. And the city manager went, what hurricane? And they, the people who were on the ground trying to re- worry about the response in their town and in their, their parish were so inward focused. They didn't know there was another hurricane yeah. coming just a couple of days behind. It. And they were like, man, we're so glad you guys are here because we're not focused on anything outside of this yeah, it city was, town. Yeah, it, it was an amazing thing to be a part of. And, it, and it, I didn't learn to later on some of the backstory of why it was so hard to get anything done. And it was that lawsuit it was the lawsuit stuff it was it it was a lot of promises made so it goes if you remember the whole lower ninth what was called the lower ninth ward Mm -hmm. was flooded well because the wall breached on the levee broke yeah the levee broke well it turns out back in the 1920s there was a big rainstorm up in the Ohio Valley, and of course all of that is headed for New Orleans. And so the city fathers talk to the people who live in the parishes surrounding New Orleans and say, hey, look, we want to blow the levee up north, and it's going to flood your farmland, but it's going to save the city, and when everything's over and done with, you know, we'll, we'll, be okay. we'll, we'll make you whole again. So that's what they did. They blew the levee, they flood the thing, it all dries out, and they come in and they go, who are you? (laughs) We forgot the promises. Yeah. And so that was what a lot of the animosity was because the people believed that that's what they did on purpose, that they they sabotaged the levee, flooded the lower ninth ward to to save other stuff. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot, you know, and I'm not, what? I thought That's I was just down here to, to try and help you all. Nothing's on fire. Why Nothing's am I here? Nothing's on fire. So anyway, I get this, this one f- firefighter. He's a, real, a good guy. I said, look, go get me the, and I forget the form number, but anyhow, I said, we need to put in these forms to get every one of these fire stations on the list to get them rebuilt and we need to do it right now and he goes why do we need to do that right now i said because we need to get these in there before anybody figures out what the hell's going on you know right now the whole city's in chaos i want to get these in there before they realize what's happening and we'll get your fire stations fire stations back you'll get your fire stations back and so that's what we did and then because i knew one of the guys who was on the fema team yeah so you got your stuff on top of the pile. To on get top of the care. pile. Well, ended up they finally they caught later on and just. I mean, I was just he goes, well, what should we do? I said, put in for new fire stations for everyone. Every one of the because I had no idea. I mean, I he's got this map and I'm going. I don't know anything about New Orleans. No. You, where are the fire stations? You tell me. Yeah. Where 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 are they at? So, the reason that. If you think about the old part of New Orleans, that's the high ground. That's why it didn't flood. Yeah. Well, that's, the whole city is like. 16 feet below yeah. sea level but that's the only yeah like the that. french quarter is above ground and that's why uh that's why i didn't flood and then when i was working at fema dave comes in and sends me back because the parish below new orleans was all volunteer departments and and of course they got i mean they got wiped out mm-hmm. 
He says, Greg, the money that we allocated, they haven't spent. They're arguing and fighting. You know, George wants it on this side of the street. Ralph wants it on this side of the street. He said, if they don't do something within the next couple of months, the money's going to be forfeit. Okay. I go down there, St. Bernard's Parish. Yep. <clears throat> and I try and get them together and say, look, guys, <laughs> you're about to lose millions of dollars. If because you, you don't, can't make up your mind. If you don't fix this. I said, how about if I just decide where they go? You know? Or, now... I want the firehouse here. I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know how they ever resolved it, but me going down there was an absolute waste of did, time. Did they, he, you know, go the, back north, fella. The mediation did not work. I said, but work. I'm from below the yeah. Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, we don't yeah. care. I'm from south. From the, yeah, you from ain't, it was, you, it was, ain't, you ain't from New Orleans. No, but I, and, and where they put us up when we, when we went down there the first time was in St. Anne's old folks' home. <laughs> which they had evacuated right. so i have a picture of me sitting on a bed someone took going yeah this is you in the future <laughs> a premonition yeah so it was so working at the time at fema was it was really interesting got to do i mean it was just chaotic with everything that was going on with the end of the administration and trying to get you know just trying to get loose ends tied up and and get ready for the election and then the bureaucracy there is just unbelievable. I'll tell you one, one more. The federal last. government bureaucracy? Federal go- I, so, I do tell. <laughs> so I'm part of the planning team, a FEMA's planning team, for the inauguration. <clears throat> and so they call us into a meeting. So if the inauguration is on Monday, they call me into a meeting on Friday. And they say, okay, we need your pass. We need this, 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 and this. You're, you know, turn in everything. You're out of here. And I said, Okay. I said, but you do realize I'm part of the team for Monday morning. And they look at me and they go, huh? I said, I'm part of the team that's planning and and going to execute on this plan for the inauguration. Oh. Yeah, maybe maybe (laughs) you can stick around. It was nuts. I mean, you know, they, you know, your job is to take everybody's credentials. Hey, that's regardless. I'm, you're uh, the old uh, yeah. administration. Yeah. And that was kind of the thing too, is, you know, we talked, I mentioned earlier about a uh, new mayor coming into town, new fire chief. This is even to the ninth degree, new, new presidential administration coming in. Was that, was that Obama coming yeah. in after Bush? Yeah. So you, you know, got clean in house on oh, the yeah. day after it's uh, everybody's resignation on the table. Have a nice day. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I, Told Davis, and you know, hey, God, you know, I'll give him all my stuff. I don't care. I said, but here's here's what I'm responsible yeah, for. You need find to find somebody to do somebody. this tomorrow. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's kind of start wrapping this up. That was that took you to kind of the end of the Bush administration. Yeah. Your tour at the U.S. Uh, Fire Administration. From there, you went to. I went IFC. to and went to the IAFC for a year. Um, uh, Ed Plogger, who uh, was a good friend, um, called me up. And said, you know, come here. We got a project we need you to work on. So I went to work for them. And um, so Becky Denlinger, who was another friend from Cobb County, had been appointed the fire marshal for British Columbia. The guy who was the minister of whatever they was whatever was the a Canadians friend. Yeah, he was. Not, he was a metro chief, and you know. So anyway, he became the minister. So I said, okay, Ed. I said, what are we doing? He said, well, she's got some problems. Go out there and see what you can do to help. So 
for the next, I don't know, year, I was on a plane flying into Vancouver for the Olympics. So here's the interesting thing. <clears throat> inside the Olympic ring, inside mm -hmm. defense, is taken care of by the Olympic Committee. Mm -hmm. Everything outside, it's local jurisdiction. So between Vancouver, the city, city career fire department, and Whistler, is all nothing, volunteer. Whistler has a one-station fire station with three people in it, and they're expecting 25,000, 30,000 people a day because that's where all of the ski stuff... In Whistler. In, yeah, in Whistler. So that was... was. Uh, hey, we might need some help here. Yeah, and so there was nothing in between. I mean, you know, it was just... It was basically open, you know, tundra. Canadian countryside. Yeah, it was, you know, and then, of course, the... The First Nation was in a battle with the government, and they were threatening to block the highway. <laughs> so it's, no, no Olympics without the indigenous no, populations. So, all the you know, so that was I, that was an interesting project. A another and, dynamic. Uh, and and then uh, and then uh, Jim Shannon called me up when I was still at the IAFC and said, "Hey, I got a project. You know, I need you to help me with something." I said, "Okay, what?" He goes, well, I need you to take over to government affairs office because whoever was in charge of it had, had left. And um, so I took over the government affairs office at uh, NFPA. Well, your connection to the, the, the government through your administrator role, I'm sure, kind of gave you a lot oh, of insights. Oh, yeah, and I, I had known Jim, you know, from, yeah. from dealing with, you know, dealing with that. He was obviously a great guy. And, uh, you know, he just called me up and said, hey, okay, you know, we like having a U.S. fire administrator on staff. So, all right. There you go. And then ultimately went to uh, regional operations. That's where you and I crossed paths and yep. uh, worked with you there for your last few years. So what's uh, what's life doing with you now besides uh, enjoying I, retirement? I'm just enjoying retirement, just uh, taking care of a house and family and, and, and enjoying a few things here and there, trying to improve my golf game, which is – a never-ending, uh, never-ending battle. Yeah, when you said where you lived, and you were next to this golf course. I said, "Well, darn it, I should have brought my clubs down with me. We could have done this from the from the golf cart." Yeah, well, but, we uh, could have. Now, well, we'll have to remember that if there's round two. Well, well, after a fifty-two year, fifty, how long was your career? I started in sixty-eight, so sixty-eight, uh, fifty-two, 50, almost fifty-three. Fifty-three years worth of uh, history there. I'm sure we didn't capture, but a mere fraction of it in an hour and. Well, only the things so. that I that I know are public knowledge. So you well, can't, maybe, maybe the next time we'll uh, we'll have a have a cocktail or two, and uh, maybe we'll explore a few of the others. I'll, I'll check and make sure the statute of limitations uh, right. has has run out on whatever it is that we're going to talk about. Fair enough. Well, uh, the last the last question I've asked a, a lot of folks who've got long and distinguished careers in the fire service is all about you know what what advice would you give the younger you, or what advice would you give the current school of rookies coming into the fire service you know 52 plus years of the fire service you, you certainly got some lessons learned and some knowledge to pass on to that next generation who are coming in as recruit firefighters or volunteer firefighters just getting into the job and learning what the career is what what piece of advice do you think you would give them if you had a few minutes to share a, a thought or an idea with them well I, the first thing i would tell them is take every training opportunity that you can get a chance to do because our what we're expected to do now in the fire service and even back when I um, I think it's gotten I don't want to say worse that's not the right more complicated 
people today have less and less human skills. <laughs> and they rely on the computers and everything else to solve it, but they can't drive a nail in a board. And, and they can't deal with adversity. And to me, that's what makes the fire service so strong and why even today we get asked to do stuff and I still look and go, why are we involved in this? Well, because people know that if I call the fire department, they're going to show up. And the expectation is, A, you need to be as prepared as you can be. And so it's a lifelong education. It's not like, you know, oh, gee, I've learned this and now I know everything there is to know because you've got to, be, you've got to have this huge package of knowledge so that you can pick the pieces out that fit into the problem that you're trying to solve. And, and more than once in my career, I would stand around and go, why am I here? <laughs> why am I here? Well, I'm here because you called me and I showed up. Because a lot of times they call and nobody shows up. Yep. And they're not interested in, in trying to help. And if that's, if that's not the type of person you are, then you're going to struggle in the fire service. You can find a place for you. There's, and that's the other thing. I mean, the fire service now has so many different things that, that you can be involved in if fighting fires isn't one of them. Mm -hmm. And I worked with a couple of guys who they didn't like going in fires. Huh? Why are you here? <laughs> why, why are you here? You know, they, that wasn't what they wanted to do. There were other things that the fire service did that they wanted to do, but they couldn't get there without, you know, without. You got to have that firefighter. You got to have that firefighter to to the next step. thing. And, and, on, and it's still that in a lot of ways. I hope that it continues to evolve because I don't think that that's necessary for, for everybody. I think that that, I think having the basic understanding of fire is important whether you're going to be an inspector or whatever else it is, I think that's important. But, you know, it, uh, it the flexibility that's required is, is really the, is really the whole, uh, is really for me, the whole thing. I've been very, very lucky to have done tons and tons of different things and things that I never thought that I'd be involved in. I mean, even working for NFPA, I mean, I was traveling around the world talking about you know how how do we get uh, people more safe and and how do we how do we get the world to understand all these ISO standards? I'm going. Yeah. What am I involved? In? How did I get here? How did I get here? You know, this isn't me. Like to suck her on fire. I can tell you how to put it out. <laughs> well, cool. Well, um, hey, thanks again for uh, for letting me stop by caption some thoughts and it, again if, if you got a notebook and if you pop something pops in your head in the next couple of weeks start scribbling notes because the next time i come down this way we'll catch up and that sounds like that sounds a, great have a part two maybe even uh see if we can get russ sanders together one day because i had him on a few months back and, did you uh, that was an interesting conversation to hear him talk about the uh, arresting one of the backstreet boys one day so that's a he <laughs> He is he is a wealth of information. He is that, and he knows everybody. I'm yes, still, he does. I still get phone calls from him where people are calling him, asking for NFPA yeah. stuff, and he goes, hey, yeah. I, I'm retired. Call this guy. Yeah. So. 
He's he's an amazing he's an amazing guy and he's a great friend and his wife is just as wonderful as uh, as he is. Yeah. And uh, he's but he's 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 a, he's a hoot. He knows a lot. There's no question about oh, that. Yeah. And he's and he's never I always love him because he's always truthful. You know, he's just he's, he's, <laughs> he doesn't have much is, of a, you know not much of a filter there for no, sure. No, not much of a filter. And I appreciate that. Yep. You know, I yeah, always so. have. Uh, I, I miss seeing him this year. I, I just uh, couldn't get to the Metro this year. Maybe next Next time. Well, thanks again, Chief Greg Cade from uh, Prince George's County, Maryland, Hampton, Virginia Beach, U.S. Fire Administration, NFPA, IFC. Um, Some might say you couldn't hold a job, but I don't think that's the case. Well, I think that's true. (laughs) I don't get a pension from all of them, but some of them I do. That's right. Well, I appreciate you being letting me come in and chat with you and recording this. And uh, for everybody who's listening, thanks for listening. Make sure you – Follow along on the social channels and Twitter and Instagram, FD Logbook on Twitter and at FD Logbook Podcast on Instagram. We're going to post some pictures. I'll see if uh, the good Chief Cade has some uh, digital photographs from his from his illustrious career. We might be able to share on a couple of those platforms. And uh, make sure you follow along and hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're on. And uh, make sure you don't miss an episode. I appreciate everybody listening. And if you got any questions for me or want to follow up with any questions for Chief Cade, Shoot me an email at uh, firehouselogbook at gmail.com and I'll be sure and pass them along. So, Chief, thanks again. Thank you for coming. <laughs>